So John chapter 6. Thank you. Um, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing all those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Uh, He did the same with the fish. And when they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Well, everyone, please do turn in your Bible to John chapter 6, which was read for us a moment ago. And let us bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, we do earnestly pray that you will speak to us today from your word and carry it home by your Holy Spirit. For your name's sake. Amen. Well, we continue today in our summer series, which are or is the signs in John's Gospel. And today we come to the feeding of the 5,000. And in John's Gospel, generally speaking, John, the author, calls these wonderful deeds signs. That's to say they are miracles, and he could call them miracles, and sometimes he does. But most of the time, he calls them signs, because they have a definite purpose. They point to Jesus' glory and lead us to believe. You remember from the first one we looked at, the water into wine. In chapter 2, we read this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the miraculous, or first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, the importance was not the sign itself, 
But the consequence of the sign, the way in which the sign revealed Christ and his glory. Now, by the end of the book, John is running out of space, not surprisingly. And he writes this, chapter 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, the feeding of the 5,000, the sign thereof, uh, is recorded in all four Gospels. And that rather emphasises its importance. And I was glad to see that because I remember first hearing a talk on this sign uh, in 1971. Don't laugh. But uh, actually, I surprised myself, if I'm honest, that I was more or less able to to uh, link it to, to 1971, as that is rather more than 50 years ago. And I don't usually retain, retain sermons for more than about, uh, well, an hour and a half maximum. So uh, to discover that I've actually remembered one from 51 years ago, uh, I found a great encouragement. And the, what I remember about it was the outline. This was the outline of this sermon. First point, a hungry crowd. Second point, a willing helper. Third point, the need met. The need met. Now, thankfully, uh, frankly, I mean, uh, I, I can't uh, improve on that. So I'm going to use that as my outline. First heading, a hungry crowd. Now, in verse 2 of our passage, it tells us that there's a great crowd of people following Jesus because they saw the signs that he did. So the whole thing of their relating to him and spending time with him was because of the signs that he did. Incidentally, that is the better way to speak of it rather than performed. I don't like performed, do you? Sounds far too like a conjuring trick. You read the English Standard Version and that will give you uh, signs that he did. And as a result of him doing these signs, the, the crowd followed Jesus. In fact, uh, Jesus went to the other side of the shore, uh, other sh shore, the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's the first verse of the chapter. Uh, so after, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, but he'd previously been on the other shore. And no doubt uh, Jesus felt as he crossed the Sea of Galilee that perhaps, just perhaps, this would make it possible for him to get a bit of a break, to get a rest, to have a little R&R. It's an awfully good phrase, that, isn't it, R&R? &R? I can never remember quite what it means. Is it rest and relaxation. Oh, thank you. Yes, you were going to say that. Well done. Yes, I should have remembered that. Anyway, he was hoping for a little bit of R&R. &R, but no chance. No way. For the crowd followed him to the far side. Jesus was there first, and he looked up and saw 
this large crowd. So we're now in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So Jesus realizes that a situation is developing. These people are getting seriously hungry. They may start fainting for lack of food, or rather, as we might, through high temperatures. I mean, I have to keep an eye out while preaching, you know, in case just over there I see someone quietly passing out. But I don't think we do yet. But it was a serious problem on that day that uh, many of them would not have had enough food and might have been in, in serious danger of fainting. So Jesus asked one of his disciples, called Philip, uh, what they should do. Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, then it tells us why Jesus asked this question and what his expectations were of Philip, whom, uh, of whom he asked it. So it says that in verse 6, Jesus asked this only to test Philip, for he, had already, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So this was a sort of test to see if Philip um, was showing any sort of personal Christian growth. Uh, was he beginning to develop the fact that Jesus could do all things far above the limitations of personal human possibilities. Well, you may say, well, that was a bit of a mouthful, but I apologize for that. But the question basically was, is Jesus limited by human possibilities? And, uh, well, what did Philip think about that? I mean, they've got these 5,000 people just there. Uh, can he do anything for them? Then thirdly, is Philip at all aware of the... Uh, sovereignty of Jesus over circumstances. It's quite a test, this, isn't it, one way or another? I mean, it's considerably more detailed, we might feel, than GCSE. The GCSE, most of the time, it seems to me, you just have to choose uh, a question out of one of five or something, and, and choose an answer, rather. You know, sort of do this with your pencil and dot. Um, but, no, this was... Uh, these, these points in this test were serious points. How would Philip do? Answer, Philip fails. Naught out of ten. He is totally limited by human possibilities. He, he, he's a bit rattled by being asked the questions. He goes off into his tent and he uh, gets his calculator and he sort of sits there doing this and then he, then, uh, he blinks at the outcome. Half a year's wages to feed these people. That's just for each one to have a bite. Oh dear. That's rather a lot, isn't it? I mean, let's call it £12,000, because that's what it is in our money. £12,000 required so that each of these people, this is just the men, incidentally, gets a bite. Well, supposing we want to give them a decent meal, I mean, what is it going to cost then? Well, at least four times a bite. I mean, actually, frankly... I don't think a decent meal consists of a couple of bites. It's got to be a good deal more than that, so we may, may as well make it 100,000. That's about the sort of sums that are required to meet the needs of this huge crowd. And of course, it's not just a large sum of money, is it? But besides that, where are you going to get it from? 
I mean, where are the, the shops? Miles away from Sainsbury's. And Tesco's, even if it does think every little helps, is still uh, quite inaccessible in the desert. So the situation is becoming seriously urgent. Now, Jesus' priority, of course, was to teach the crowds. In one sense, he welcomed the crowds because he wanted to teach them about God and the word of God, the gospel. But, of course, he won't be able to do that if they are not given something to keep hunger at bay right now. Because always that will seem to be the more urgent, more pressing need. And therefore, if they could just uh, have that, they'd perhaps be okay. But no, if Jesus is to be able to teach them about God and his gospel, he's got to stop them grumbling because they're so hungry. And this is an urgent message for everybody. But this hunger that they feel, uh, it affected all of them and it affected the, their ability to listen. Uh, and the fact is that it's true of people today that for those who do not receive Christ, there is an awareness of a certain deep hunger gnawing away, that's G-N, gnawing away uh, in their hearts to... Because what uh, they should be discovering from John 6.35, the same chapter, but much later on, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, what a tremendous promise that is. Jesus is saying, all that you need is in me. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. That is a glorious promise. So the first heading then was a hungry crowd. Second heading, a willing helper. Now it turns out that the helper is a boy, a lad. Uh, and he must have had a bit of a shock that day, mustn't he, one way or another. Uh, I mean, he couldn't have known what lay ahead as he watched his mum get the plastic box and put in it some fish and some, uh, uh, some bread. So he had both bread and, and fish in his box. And no doubt when this lad was talking to Andrew, Andrew said to him, well, what have you got in there, Sonny? And he said, that's my lunch. Oh, says Andrew, not too happy about that because we're all supposed to be sharing it. Anyway, um, he mentioned these loaves and fish and then takes the little lunchbox to Jesus. He takes them and I guess he takes the boy as well. This boy, he's got some fish and some bread. Maybe he could share them. And I guess that lad was looking on. You know, All through the day, he'd resisted the temptation to get into his lunchbox early. Difficult, that, isn't it? If you're out for the whole day, you know there's some delicacies in there. You'd like to eat them. He would have liked to have eaten them, but he hadn't eaten them. And now he looks on while Andrew takes his sandwiches to, to Jesus. And he thinks, I wonder if I'm ever going to see my sandwiches again. And Andrew's pretty negative about the whole proceedings, isn't he? So uh, he accepts the uh, bread and the fish, 
But then verse 9, he adds a, a, a sort of rather negative comment. Here's a boy with five smally, barley, small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? Bit of a waste of time, isn't it, Jesus, he says. Jesus does not consider it to be a waste of time at all. He tells the disciples to do something. The best thing in this situation of crisis is that something needs to be done. What were they to do? They were to get the crowd and to sit down. See, Jesus doesn't want there to be some sort of stampede that happens as all the crowd go crazy when they discover how much food is available. No, uh, he, he, tells the, he tells the disciples, asks the disciples to make sure that they sit down. And once that's happened, they can then presumably see the Lord Jesus at the front and so they will be able to know what it is that he does which makes the uh, bread and fish available to them. What he did is in verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. That's phenomenal, isn't it? As much as they wanted. I mean, these people have been virtually starving. Uh, they had been famished. But now, as they eat all these sandwiches, they are rapidly becoming full. Uh, and uh, I think that was the title of our sermon today. Uh, famished or full. Well, they weren't going to be famished anymore. Not once Jesus has given them the bread and fish. There is food in abundance. What a wonderful thing that is. See, now you're sort of stingy about it. In abundance, a massive amount available. And the point really is that the key link is that boy who was willing to surrender his lunchbox and place it in the hands of the Lord. You see, in the hands of the Lord, everything changes. And things become possible that were never going to be possible before. In Jesus' hands, those five loaves and two fish become sufficient to feed a crowd of 5,000 men plus however many thousand women. I mean, that's probably not a good idea to speculate, but there would have been a large number of women and some children there as well. Sufficient for everyone, the lunch became in the hands of the Lord. And that just makes the point really for us, that when we realize that the Lord wants us to yield an aspect of our lives to him, it might be something that we possess, it might be something that we'd planned on doing, it might be something that went wrong, and the Lord wants us to hand this over to him because in his hands, the whole thing can be transformed. And handing it over to him means definite and deliberate personal prayer. Lord, please take this situation into your hands. Uh, asking him to do that. And then, when we've handed it over to him, uh, then to refuse to take it back. So it might be that we uh, joined something uh, like, for example, um, a university Christian union. Uh, and you realize that the Lord wants you to hand over to him that one evening a week when the Christian union meets. And that if you will do that, then 
he will encourage and bless you. And you do that, and you make a start to hand it over that time to him. Uh, but we need to make sure, having handed it over, we don't take it back. We don't say after three weeks, yes, well, okay, yeah, good, I've done the see you now, now I'll have a party. I don't think there's anything wrong with parties, but simply that Jesus comes first. And if we're aware of him asking to hand something over, then we must believe him to do great things with that. Are you willing to hand over to the Lord that thing that you most cherish? Are we willing? I remember reading somewhere years ago uh, of um, a Christian uh, pastor, and he had a way of helping people who, who would say to him, it's too difficult, I, I don't think I can make that particular sacrifice, or I don't think I can yield that to Jesus, it's, you're asking too much. And he said, the thing to do is not to struggle over that particular thing, not, certainly not, to pretend that you are willing, okay, Jesus, I'll do it. That will not help at all. No, it is rather to pray something somewhat like this. Lord, I don't feel willing. I don't feel that I want to hand this thing over. But, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. See? I'm willing to be made willing, Lord. It's my future or whatever it is that I'm cherishing so much. I'm willing to hand it over to you if, and to be willing if you will make me willing. I'm willing to be made willing. Do remember that. It's a very great help. Final point is the need met. And uh, what does Jesus, what Jesus has done or had done in the wilderness that day was like a new act of creation. Usually, of course, acts of creation are done by the creator, by God himself. But that day, the act of special creation was done by the Lord Jesus. And the sign, you see, is saying that Jesus does that, uh, that act of creation um, as the one who can do all things, including providing food in the wilderness. And so this sign is saying something, isn't it? Because normally speaking, if you think of the creation and all the things that were made, they were made by God. Here, this creation of this bread and fish is made by Jesus. And therefore, uh, it is telling us about Jesus himself, that as Jesus put it, I and the Father are one, or simply that Jesus is one with God the Father. God the Son and God the Father are one. And he can do all things, including providing food in the wilderness. And notice, there's nothing stingy about this. Um, whereby the Lord says, oh, yeah, okay, right, well, you'd eat like a bit of dry toast. I'll, get, I'll see if I can supply that. No, not at all. He gives the very best he had. That's always the principle. And the Lord Jesus is dealing with us. We need to remember that because we tend to think that somehow, if the Lord wants something in my life, it's going to be tough for me. Uh, instead of realizing that the Lord is good and he shows us through this miracle that Jesus is God, that uh, he provides in abundance for his people 
and that there will be a great feast in glory one day. Now, this feeding of the 5,000 isn't the feast in glory, but it points to the feast in glory, that one day the uh, Lord Jesus will return in great power and uh, he will take us to be with him. And along the way, he wants us to do what we can, even though it's only small, to be a willing helper, to do something that will help others and encourage them. For example, I just jotted down about seven, seven or eight things. Uh, what about a phone call to a lonely friend? An invitation to church on Sunday? Uh, an invitation to a church event? Or perhaps come around for a meal? Uh, helping with someone else's shopping? Or offering to help at the holiday club, which I think still has needs? Uh, giving a financial gift? Or uh, making a lift available to someone who can't walk very far? Or a word explaining the gospel to people who would really rather like to know exactly how it fits together, pointing them in the right direction. All these things look small to the world. But in the hands of the Lord Jesus, they can have great results. They can meet real needs. We can have that privilege of meeting real needs if we Give everything to Jesus to start with. So it's his to use as he wants. Uh, and these can meet real needs and be the means by which people come closer to Christ. That's what we want, isn't it, friends? I mean, we don't just want to come along here and have a nice time and sing a few songs and so forth and go home again. But we want to encourage one another and help each other to uh, not just encourage one another who are here, but encourage quite a lot of people who aren't here. You need to do a sort of a chairs count. Um, we should be encouraging them. We want to see the church growing and everybody getting back into a wholehearted Christian fellowship. So a hungry crowd, a willing helper, the need met. Can I respectfully ask you, because I ask myself as well, Will you be that willing helper? Will you and will I pray about this, being willing to be made willing, and ask the Lord Jesus to use us to meet real needs to the glory of his name? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the amazing truth that you want to use us in your service. And Lord, we want to be used. And so we commit ourselves to you now, and we do pray that you will use us to meet real needs and to see the gospel expand in our day. For your name's sake. Amen.